Hi, everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about creativity and the need for creative people to have the things they create be seen, listened to, heard, or read, aka a podcast about fame. This is episode 65. I'm Jamie Berger. In a few minutes, you'll hear a conversation between me and Dan Oppenheimer, the author and friend who has been on the show a couple times before, most recently. Earlier this year, we talked about Me Too and how to live, be, act as middle-aged white men. A lot has happened since then, and most recently something has happened on Friday that I've been trying to write and think about all weekend or participate in conversations online with very little luck. So I asked Dan to come and talk to me about it, and that is that on Friday I found out about an essay and a lawsuit both by author Stephen Elliott, who I know as Steve from my days in San Francisco, who wrote this essay uh, that I called How an Anonymous Accusation Derailed My Life, which begins with this paragraph. In early October 2017, following the emergence of the Harvey Weinstein allegations, a writer and activist living in Brooklyn named Maura Dunnigan created a Google Doc entitled Shitty Media Men. She sent it to female friends working in media and encouraged them to add to it and forward it on. The idea was to spread the word about predatory men in the business so that women would be forewarned. Anyone with access to the link could edit and add to the list. At the top of the spreadsheet were the following instructions. Log out of Gmail in order to edit anonymously, never name an accuser, never share the document with any men. Steve goes on to describe his own inclusion on the list uh, with rape, sexual harassment, coercion, and more. This episode was made on the fly, and the idea is to get it out tomorrow, October 16th, because this is a conversation that's relevant now and won't be in a few days, perhaps. Uh, and I've been trying for about an hour now to articulate uh, the gist of the fact that I, I, Steve Elliott was a friend of mine. I don't know was, is, will be. We haven't been in much contact in a decade. He has, he helped me publish. He invited me to his poker game. He even came and stayed in Turner's Falls one night when we first lived here about 10 years ago. Uh, we haven't been in touch much. We texted once when we were both in Vegas and did not meet up and, we haven't been in contact much in 10 years, so why do I feel the need to chime in on this? Because a week ago or so, I wrote this short statement and have been ranting and raving about it ever since. It was started as a Facebook post called A Noisy Man on the Silence of Men. Uh, and I've also posted it on Medium, and there will be a link to it if it's of any use to you. A Noisy Man on the Silence of Men... Mute support won't cut it anymore. Never did. Dear fellow men, more specifically, I'm writing to men who empathize, sympathize, agree with your women, friends, and family in their rage and grief and intense frustration for the past two years, but especially in this past week of the Kavanaugh debate. I guess it was more than a week ago that I wrote this. More specifically, this is for men who agree with the above but have stayed silent. If you're not someone who falls into the category defined by the last sentence, please don't take offense. This isn't for you. So many of us were raised to be strong and but silent. Suddenly, 
women are asking us to, even demanding of us, that we stand with them as protesters, that we not only speak up if we support them and share their values, beliefs, disgust, rage, but speak loudly. And yes, this can sometimes feel confusing, that it's a no-win situation in that it's coming from the same women who've also told us, starting in the past decade, to shut up and stop explaining stuff to them. But both are true. Our job, as I see it, is to struggle long and hard with that dilemma. How to speak up, actively support, without explaining, without taking over, without being immediately silent again and sullen, grumpy, pouty about it when a woman tells us that, nope, you didn't get it right that time. Try again. If you want to hear me trying and failing and then apologizing properly, listen to uh, my first episode with Beth Lissick a few months back. I think I eventually did it properly. Sorry. Uh, the fact that it's hard for men to know how to be supportive in the Trump Me Too era gives us an excuse to shrug our shoulders and say, fuck it, I can't win. I'm just going to stay silent and be strong and supportive as I can while saying nothing. If you are with the, them, if you support the women, it is your job to find some way to show that support. And then I go on to list various things. If you see posts on Facebook and you never click like because you're afraid you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll get involved in an argument, click the button. If you've never commented but really want to, comment. If you wanted to repost a great article by a woman, post it. My argument was pretty much that we have to represent fellers. And as self-righteous and whatever that, as that may seem, I think it's an important thing to keep saying. Uh, and so I, I read, went on for a while in that essay to say that. So on Friday, when I heard about Steve Elliott's essay and the horrible lawsuit he has filed, and I looked and saw all the people who are writers and friends and colleagues posting and I tried to write things and, and none of them worked and I, I clicked like in all the right places and I really didn't feel like that was enough, but I wrote thousands of words that were completely a garbled, jumbled mess this weekend. And so Anya, my wife, suggested wisely that maybe I should try to talk to Dan about it. And we talk about the larger issue. The smaller issues of what did it means to be a man who learns that a friend who's also a man has done something really bad and how you should respond is something that I'm just not quite finding the way to put into words right here. So maybe I'll do it another time. But I think Dan and I had what I hope will be a useful conversation to some about the larger, less personal issues raised by Stephen Elliott's lawsuit and the implications and moral obligations related to responding to that and what a shitty fucking idea it was for him to do it. Let me add that the one piece of writing that I did put out in the world that stayed there was I wrote to Steve directly via Facebook Messenger, uh, the gist of which was this sentence. I wrote that the lawsuit is a horrible idea, primarily ethically, but also pragmatically, and urged him to not go forward with it. Not that I'm such a big influence in his life, but I think maybe 50, 100 people are sending him similar messages. And he did respond saying, 
The quickest way to be wrong about anything is to think you know someone's motives. When you tell me why I'm doing something, I don't understand how you think that can be effective. I guess I threw that in there because I'm trying to be fair, even if it's to someone who, at this point, I think being fair to anyone but himself has all but left the building. One of the things I found most distressing in Steve's essay is the idea that because he is uh, submissive or a bottom, pardon me if I misuse terms, it's not my world, in BDSM, that means he couldn't have raped or harmed or manipulated people, which he must know is just such utter bullshit. And somehow none of the many great things I've read this weekend uh, address that really. And just today I ran into a great piece. Actually, I think she posted it today from someone named Maggie McNeil, whose blog is called The Honest, the Honest Courtesan, Frank Commentary for, from an Unretired Call Girl. And I'd like to read the beginning and end of her post, but you should still find it and read the middle. Uh, I'll have a link to it. Her piece is called Topping from the Bottom. Readers whose sexuality is primarily vanilla may be unfamiliar with the kink term topping from the bottom, but it isn't difficult to explain. A top is the dominant or active partner in a scene, and topping is acting as a top, i.e. dominating, putting the other in bondage, inflicting pain, etc. A bottom is the submissive or receptive partner, and bottoming is the act of being tied up, having pain inflicted, etc. Topping from the bottom is when the bottom keeps trying to run the scene, sometimes by sabotaging the top's efforts, and sometimes by volunteering what they want to do in faux-submissive language. And that's from the beginning of her post, and from the end, she writes, The New York Times story on the suit adds the telling detail that Mr. Elliot is asking the court to order that the defendants issue a written retraction to each and every person to whom they originally published the false and defamatory statements, a demand which only makes sense when one notes its resemblance to punish work that a teacher might inflict on a misbehaving student or a dom on a sub in school role play, a pointless and repetitive task intended to accomplish nothing but humiliation. Elliot's every action, from the tales I've heard of his behavior in person to his article to, to his lawsuit, looks like part of a strategy to cloak sexual demands behind a veneer of submission, weakness, or victimhood. It's like a real-world version of topping from the bottom, and what he's trying to accomplish is nothing less than scaring amateur women out of warning each other about shitty men like him. That's Maggie McNeil. If you Google that name, you'll find her blog, and I look forward to reading more of it. Daniel Oppenheimer and I are developing a podcast called Entitled. Here's our conversation. So, I mean, I think the way I see the issue is um, that Stephen Elliott, who who I only know kind of of, but you know personally, um, Oh, let me start that again. Let me let me get this clear in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so 
this started for me, and I, you know, I think so. This started for me when I saw this piece that Stephen Elliott did in Quillette um, not too long ago, in which he talked about being unfairly called out as I think an accused rapist in the shitty men in media list. And he talked about kind of the experience of that, and you know, as he saw the injustice of it. And the essay was in Quillette. This is of note. Quillette is this magazine that kind of its its raison d'etre is is being sort of anti what it sees as PC, not necessarily from a right wing perspective, but from a sort of free speech, you know, uh, or civil liberties perspective. And Quillette doesn't pay much, if anything at all. And and Stephen Elliott is a writer who generally can get paid um, for writing things. And and as he talks about in the essay, he actually had. Um, this had been provisionally accepted at two other publications and then uh, rejected. So it, it's become, it's fairly quickly, even in it, in its, in that initial pristine state in Quillette, became this kind of object of of our current culture wars. Um, and then there were responses to it, including I think from the current editor of Rumpus Magazine, where he used to be editor and was founder, um, and one or two other women who said they had been. Um, not raped by Elliot, but 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 inappropriately treated in one fashion or another. Um, so then there were those responses, and then more. And then very recently, I think this was maybe just announced in the last few days, Elliot fought a lawsuit against the woman who created the uh, Shitty Men and Media List, and I think I think also a kind of defamation lawsuit. I think also against sort of unnamed people who had added his name and maybe even people who'd distributed the list, which would which would include me, uh, maybe you too, and lots of people out there, though I'm not too worried for my uh for myself. And so there's kind of a bunch of different issues here. There's there's um you know, what did he or didn't he do in the first place? Uh, and did did it rise to the level of um being sort of privately identified and called out on this uh, spreadsheet that was at least ostensibly supposed to be just for the private use of women who women in the media you know to to share with each other to keep you know help each other stay safe from from predatory men um, did it rise to the level of being publicly called out as as it pretty quickly was once the list went viral and then should he have filed a lawsuit against people for doing this in the first place? And how do we deal with the kind of behavior he may or may not have been done? How do we deal with people who have been accused but not convicted in any kind of court of law with any sort of evidentiary procedure and so on? I mean, does that conform to sort of your sense of the issue, Jamie? I mean, you're coming to it with a with a personal connection to Elliot. Yes, that's incredibly uh, yes, uh, great. And I didn't know that about Quillette, so that was useful to hear. <clears throat> I didn't know Quillette until I read Steve's uh, essay. Uh, yes, I would say that's a lot of the the issues in the public sphere right now. I, I would only add to it the ideas of what. Mm, Let's go with that, and I'll come to it. There, there are thoughts of, of, of. I think it's important. Can I interject for a second? I, I think it's important for both of us, pretty briefly, to say what we think. Maybe not. Well, maybe what we think he did, but but certainly what what we think he was accused of, 
and what our general sense is about what he did, and maybe because he seems to be in a litigious mood, I'll make sure to to make this uh, you know as, as sort of provisional and qualified as possible. But what is your sense of the kind of the nature of what he did, and what is your sort of judgment of it? Because uh, I think you're more familiar with kind of the rumors, both the the you know sort of firsthand reality of whatever you've observed about him, but then also the sort of rumors within those communities of people where he operates, because he's a very distinct kind of mm-hmm. person. It, it's interesting that you mentioned being being aware of, of Steve being in a litigious mood, because I think uh, it, part, of, part of the issue is whether he's a public figure and thus open to public discussion and what becomes liable or not once you become a right. public figure. But I think at this point, uh, we can say whatever we want because he's made himself, as he, as I said to you earlier today, the, the men and a lot of women I know who thought of Steve or some still probably do uh, as a friend, I think everyone would say he's you know, a lovable, egomaniacal scamp who was right. abrasive, difficult, and would write about his own being, his own sexual needs and stuff uh you know that were very complicated based on a really really rough upbringing uh not that that defines one's sexuality but he seemed to suggest in his writing that it had but um i just in the hour before i spoke to you found another piece about it of a woman who i believe is a certainly a sex worker maybe a dominatrix talking about um him as a uh, a controlling bottom uh, in, in, in sexual terms. Uh, and that, uh-huh. that the, one of the things that bothered me the most about his piece was his claim that he couldn't have raped anybody because he's, his, his preferences are on the masochistic side of BDSM, which is just insane to say that, of course, I couldn't rape anybody because that's what I've written and stated who I am all my life. Um, that said, my gut feeling, as I'm sure anyone is with someone who they had thought of as someone they like and respect is that Steve isn't a rapist. But, and, but what I see from Moira Donakin's list and from the, what was on it is that he, it doesn't give him even nearly a right to sue anyone. It gives him to write, to write a complaining, mm-hmm. trying to salvage a career essay. Um, it reeks of a kind of bitterness that makes me sad. Yeah. And, and the lawsuit even more so does of a cry for attention that that is my the crime that I see. And the fact that he is crying for attention at what could be extreme expense to other people. Yeah. And of people who want to come forward and whisper to friends that don't work for or with this guy anonymously. So I mean, I still think we're trying to work through what to do in the case of figures like. Stephen, I'll just call him Steve. I don't know him, but but I'll, I'll speak in familiar. Yes, he's because Stephen you do, but, but... in public life, but he's always been Steve, as far okay. as I know it, to people who know him. Okay, so I don't, you know, so let's posit for the sake of argument that what he is, and I would almost say it's kind of implicit in in some of the stuff he's written, that what he is is somebody who, you know, I mean, I think the the relatively neutral way he put it is somebody with not a great sense of boundaries. But let's put it, let's put it in a less neutral and more pejorative. Frame, which is he's somebody who's very aggressive 
and persistent and relentless and willing to sort of take advantage of people's and, – and we're mostly talking about women, though. I think maybe he's had relationships with men too, but people's kind of desire are just kind of natural. Most of us are natural desire to be accommodating, and he will take advantage of that to sort of um, you know, in some situations invade people's space. Uh, maybe invade their brain in a little bit in a way that probably lots of people experience as just, you know, as you said, you know, the, the egomaniacal aggressive scamp, but sort of charming, sort of annoying. And some people experience as offensive and maybe violating and maybe even intimidating. And so let's sort of posit that he's somewhere in that space and not a rapist. I mean, if he is a rapist, it's it's awful, but in a sense, the issues are somewhat more clear, right? He shouldn't be suing people for alleging he's a rapist if he's actually a rapist. He should mm-hmm. just be suffering the consequences of being that and committing those acts. But let's posit that he's in that space, and he's that kind of person, and I think we've all known that kind of person, and I don't think we know we're thinking through as a culture kind of how to deal with that kind of person. I, I will go so far as to say that I'm 90% sure he would have no argument with any of that. Okay. <laughs> um, and I just want to posit also, and I don't usually use the word posit, that yeah. there's a parallel here in that I think whoever accused him believed her accusation. And I think he believes he didn't rape anyone. I don't know if he doesn't believe the other stuff. He isn't really complaining about the he was over aggressive or harassy. It's mm-hmm. the rape that he seems to in the essay be willing to. And, and I want to relate that to the fact that I've been writing lately about having gone to a day school like Brett Kavanaugh's, and I'm exactly his age, six months maybe, mm-hmm. different, and that everything described by um, Dr. Ford fits what I, w- what I know went on, even though I wasn't cool enough to be invited into the, into the special bedrooms at parties. And yeah. at the same time, I don't think that Kavanaugh was doing the, I will cover my lies, although he did lie a lot about things, about drinking and stuff, and about those, we all knew what boofing is. Right, right, Um, right, right. But I think that he and Sparky, or whatever his friend's name was, (laughs) Tobin, we're we're trying to, yes, we're, (laughs) Donkey Dog Doug, I think that was the one. Yes, exactly. And they, yeah, yeah, that they think, yeah, we did that, but. She fought and we let her go. And that's that was just all in good fun. And sure, if she hadn't fought, it would have been just fine. And we'd all have had some fun. And so I think in his heart of hearts, he knows it's true, but it's okay. And now women are saying it's not. So can I push back on Stephen Elliott? Because I think because you're sort of suggesting that there was some sort of encounter that he thought was consensual and the the person on the other side experienced as non-consensual or or in some sort of gray area. And I would say... Pure conjecture on my part. Yeah, and I I would just say that it's very conceivable to me with somebody like him around whom rumors swirl that it was not actually somebody who... experience what they thought was a, a rape or what was rape at the hands of Stephen Elliott, but somebody who just heard rumors. I, I mean, I just think in that context where it's an anonymous spreadsheet and people are throwing things out there, and he's one of those people who it sounds like it was kind of known that this sort of thing happened. I think it's entirely – I'm not assuming that some – that a you know Brett Kavanaugh-type situation happened or a situation – and I think these happen all the time where you have a really aggressive – 
man who's not sensitive to cues at all and a woman who and who also um, parties really hard has written books about part, it. when right. he's when who he party you know yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I think there are I think there are gray situations. I think there are situations where women feel intimidated. Um, they may not be threatened. They may not be forced in some sort of purely physical way, but they feel intimidated, or they just, or they just, you know, are partially inebriated or intoxicated mm-hmm. or high or something like that, and they have an experience that feels like a violation to them, and that they maybe after the fact call rape, and that we can debate whether that is or not. But I'm not assuming that happened with Elliot. I just ass- because I think it's very possible if somebody specifically came forward, if an anonymous person specifically came forward and said he did this to me, I'd be much more inclined to believe them. But in the context where it's just like a phrase. On an anonymous spreadsheet, I think it's very plausible that that's something somebody threw out there who'd heard things through the grapevine, um, and and you know that were in the area of of kind of bad things mm-hmm. without the, who wasn't the actual the victim of it. So I, I just I think it's worth pushing back on that just because it's it's different from somebody like Blasey Ford or even somebody who's anonymous alleging something like that mm-hmm. when it's just a few words on a spreadsheet. And, and I think um, this is what upsets Steve the most, that you may well be yeah. right, but it doesn't stop. It, it, yeah, I, it went on a list of, of bad men. It, it didn't. Right. So, nobody was charging him with rape. So let's say he's been an asshole because that's a phrase people use a lot on these things. Like let's say he's been an asshole and he's been sexually aggressive and sexually invasive and in ways that are just – that you and I both feel are wrong, but they're not criminal. Um, and it was – let's just say again for the sake of argument that it was not – well, obviously it was sometimes with people over whom he had some kind of professional power. Um, but it yes. was not – again, it was not a violation of a law, may or may not have been viola- you know, a sort of violation it, of kind of sexual it, harassment it, law, which isn't criminal. As is, um, as is alleged lately and just tragically with Sherman Alexie and Juno Diaz, but especially Sherman Alexie for me just breaks my heart. Um, no, one's, no one's sending him to prison, but their careers may be damaged, and that's, that's, that's what you get. Sometimes. Well, so that's the question. What do you get? And what Elliot is saying, I think, in his article is uh, that he's not okay that with that it, it's having a uh, impact on his career, a sort of a, a notable impact on his career. I, I guess for behavior, I think he feels like, however you want to judge it, in the kind of private realm of morality, it shouldn't be disqualifying as a as a writer, um, as an as a professional. And and that particularly when you throw out what he says are, are false accusations of rape, that it's that it's a real significant damage to his life. And what do you do with that? And I mean, now you ever you have a reaction to that? <sighs> I I do I do I question it a little bit since my initial reaction, but I still maintain that. By my code of ethics, I tried to put myself in Steve's position. And when I wrote him, I, I, I did that, tried as well. And I said, I don't yeah. know that I would have the self-control to do what I'm suggesting. But that there's that it, I keep the parallel to Kavanaugh is real for me in that so many people argued that his life would be ruined 
or was being ruined. No, mm -hmm. he'd just go back to the second best job in his profession in the world. Which is this, what? The judgeship that he already has. That he, oh, he subjected okay. himself Deep. to public humiliation by, by yeah. applying for a job in which you're subject to it. If he hadn't gotten the job, his life wouldn't have been ruined. Steve right. may not be able to get jobs in TV, movies. You know, if he had not written, I feel like filing this lawsuit will yeah. will sell a screenplay and a book. And I and I, the Steve I know is thinking that from from. And I he got very <laughs> mad at me because I wrote things that presumed. I don't know if he got mad at me, but his only response to me was that I was presuming things, and I didn't write that down. But I'm presuming the guy I know. It's an operator, a, a likable operator with a lot of good qualities. But part of this is is showbiz. Well, so, sure, but like step back from that for a second, and 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 because I think your initial reaction was even if he's telling the truth, even if he did not rape anybody or anything even the, in the vicinity of that, that it was wrong for him to file a lawsuit against all these folks. Yes, uh, one of whom, what's her name, Moira. Donegan. Donegan? Is that yeah, more believe, so believe. one of them and then and then these anonymous people, but that that was sort of I think that was your judgment independent of what you think his motives are for filing the lawsuit. Yeah, yeah, that he is not justified in exposing everyone on that list and risking the future of people trying to justifiably and uh who are afraid coming out anonymously to make general statements that this person is not someone you want to work with without fear of, of being sued for a million and a half dollars later. You, you and should, he's implicit in... Sorry, go ahead. That his suit could, could very substantially do that, could, could, could stop progress that's being made right now. Not stop it, but hurt it. Because you see... Well, I guess there's two ways. One is that, that the actual... Thing that was done, which is creating this anonymous, mostly anonymous spreadsheet, is a kind of legitimate way of sharing information and, and maybe sort of building collective will to sort of expose certain people, but also just more generally, like if you create an environment in which there's potentially a real penalty for speaking out against people, so not even anonymously, but just somebody who, who themselves files a lawsuit or goes to the media or something like that, that you're, you're creating a kind of chilling effect around, um, you're creating danger to coming out that's greater than uh, that we all know was the danger already, which is which is a lot of these women didn't speak out because their own careers would be on the line, not necessarily for getting sued, but just for never getting hired again, right? If yeah, they spoke out I, against yeah, Harvey Weinstein, I, they would, you know, they'd never get hired again or, you know, and then all of these, all of the awful things that come to people often when who they accuse make allegations. People. Like, right. Who accuse and, people. And I'm right. not just, because I'm very ignorant of, of the law and things like that. Yeah. I'm basing this a lot on journalists and lawyers writing this weekend and, and, and tweets uh, connecting to articles on the harm that this could do to a very valid movement. And I don't, I don't think I, I, I see it as justified. And if I, in my fury and raging about my career being hurt, did what he's doing, I, I think afterwards I would never forgive myself, even if I, especially if I, if I, if I returned to success for it. For having done, mm -hmm. even if even if mm -hmm. in the end the people never you know he drops the lawsuit, he's planted the seed that you can you can you can do this in the right. pretty much not in the name of 
serving justice, but just getting, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he has enough valid complaint about his career being hurt either. From that, from what, from the essay I read, it was all pretty vague from his essay. Right, right. And it's one thing to, you know, it's one thing to get an essay sort of provisionally accepted then rejected. And because when you're writing specifically about the thing around which there's the most heat, right? We don't know whether, I don't think he was also saying, here are all these places that used to pay me to do work, you know, that's not specifically about whether I did or didn't rape somebody. Uh, and now they're not paying me anymore. Mm -hmm. He's saying this specific thing uh, about this topic around which there's a great deal of heat. Um, I was not, didn't have an easy time publishing. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the, it wasn't published in the way that it normally, you know, would have been, you know, if it were about something else. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I have a very hard time thinking about it. And this is, this is maybe going to sound a little weird because it's not like I'm a non-judgmental person, but I think I have a kind of wariness about telling what people what they should or shouldn't do to protect their own interests. So again, if he's a rapist, then obviously I'm not on his side and he shouldn't publish things. And it's just a kind of gross strategy for pushing back, not necessarily clearing his name, but creating a sort of position that he can defend and, and maybe earn on or whatever, um, which seems clearly a, a kind of version of what, Brett Kavanaugh did, right? He just kind of went in all in on this sort of um, tribalizing Fox News, whatever, and, and um, denial. Mm -hmm. But if, it's one of those things. If he said, you know, you said to him, why are you doing this? And he says, because I was called a rapist and it's going to be forever attached to my name. And I want it on the record. I want, you know, I want it on the record that I was not this, that I that I wasn't this thing. I want to find out who made the accusation. I want to find out what information they claim to have. And that is a possible outcome of filing the suit. And even though it's not going to vindicate me, you know, in some utter pure way in the eyes of lots of people, it's meaningful to have that on the record in this sort of legal documented way. And, and, and it's not your business how I choose to defend or clear my reputation no 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 i don't know no, 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 no. I, I disagree completely it is it is a lot of our business to speak he he can be on the record by writing his essay and speaking to any forum who will speak to him it's a very different matter to pursue it legally and to to put others at harm that he isn't that he was never in in this in this in this scenario Nobody was suing him for a million and a half dollars or, or charging him with rape. Right. And that so doesn't mean one... it's because he didn't do it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I think, I think it's, yeah. So what if he just, what if he just written the article? If he had just that? written the article, I would, I have mixed feelings about the article. It comes off as protesting too much to me. And, and it doesn't make me think Steve's a rapist, but you know, did you see the a clip I sent you that was five of the other uh, shitty men? Uh, and I'm quoting yes. shitty. It was the list was called <laughs> shitty men in media. Anonymous shitty men. We're not calling specific people yes. named shitty men. It's, yes, right. but five named shitty men have have written uh, or contributed to a, a piece this weekend in the cut, I believe, uh, about what a bad idea. I mean, they're trying to salvage their careers in media in the way that they see fit. Granted, and Steve is doing it in his way. Right. Right. But they all were like, what a bad idea. They, these are five, I think, all of whom had, had 
apologized in probably various degrees of sincerity. Uh, yeah. But yes, Steve in, in writing that piece is taking a very strong stand that others haven't, it would get attention that others hadn't. And I think a month later, I don't know if he planned the lawsuit happened to be launched exactly a year yeah. from when the list came out, which seemed very ugh, petty and tiny to me and, and, and planned like he'd been hatching this plan. Um, but yeah. regardless, it, the other way it could feel is that, well, my, my essay didn't get enough attention and, <laughs> and a month later, I'm not getting enough out of that. And I, I, I feel like this is very harsh of me, but it, it, it is the way it felt to me. And it's like, that is just not a good enough reason because that's the kind of reason it feels like to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be too much of an Elliot defender here. Like, like if I sort of take my, just my gut feeling is it sounds like he's been an asshole a lot and he's done a lot of things that have made people feel violated and demeaned and, and small and I don't want to just in a, in a gut sense, like it's, I don't want to defend that guy. The strategy seems whatever it is, it seems punitive. It seems ill-advised um, because he's tying himself to strategically, you know, ever more closely to this thing. I mean, if it were me, probably just purely out of self-interest, I would want to spend a lot of time writing about other stuff and hope that the hope that the rumors died down, mm-hmm. uh, and hope that I could kind of establish my career apart from it and just and just be a person who was not just who was not in the public eye associated with some kind of sexual harassment or assault or misconduct for long enough that I mostly cease to be that person. That would be strategically the thing I do. He seems like somebody who is not likely to be operating out of really healthy motives um, for a variety of reasons. And so I agree with you on that. I think that the only reason I'm, the only reason I'm resisting is I'm, I'm resisting, I think the broader sense that it's the obligation of um, all of us to just sort of take a hit for the cause without limits. Um, because I think I'm I'm just a little bit more of an individualist than that. I think that it's not the obligation mm-hmm. of all of us to take a hit for the broader cause, um, sacrifice our own self-interest. And he's a you know he's a difficult you know nobody would put him forth as their Rosa Parks for this. He's not a mm-hmm. good test case because he's he's messy in all sorts of ways. But somebody who was like who was just genuinely falsely accused, who somebody had a grudge against them, or somebody had heard something and misinterpreted it and spread it and that person's now suffering professional consequences like does that person again that nice person probably strategically and this was the guys who who were you know i think talking to the cut that guy strategically might just decide that the best course for him was to lay low mm-hmm. and not put up a fight but i don't think that guy owes it to the world or to the greater cause to just keep his mouth shut and take one for the team because this is a time in which, in which men should be deferring to, right, right. You well, know, well, I think two allegations from women. Right. I think we're, we're. I think at this point we're circling back through though because my response will again be he didn't keep his mouth shut and he wrote his essay. Right. The lawsuit is is radically beyond that. Well, I know. I guess I'm pushing on it because I think I'm trying to highlight some point of difference between us because I think your sense of obligation to uh, support the cause and and possibly if it ever came up to take a hit for the cause, though as far as I know it hasn't, um, for you is much greater than mine is. So, so okay. it's not I, – I agree with you. I hear – I'm not arguing with what you're okay. saying. 
about what he did. I'm just trying to kind of elevate what is a possible disagreement between us just okay. because I think it's interesting yep. because you feel a pretty strong sense of we have an obligation to women, to society, to speak out uh, and criticize other men when it's called for to maybe take a back seat in situations, whether it's publishing in a magazine or appearing on television or speaking at a meeting or go, you know, becoming a leader or not within a context of an organization. I think you have a much stronger sense of what, as men, our obligation is to the greater good. Right. Well, let's, let's jump in there for a second because we, we started talking again about a year ago because of, 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 yours you contacted me because of your frustration in trying to participate in conversations about race was more the issue then right yeah in your in your local area and the idea of having a a podcast that we may or may not make called entitlement that this may or may not be someday reproduced on is what you know i i got a little lost there in my thought but I've been lately since the Kavanaugh stuff seeing a lot of women on their on their feeds writing about how disappointed they are with the silence of men. Yeah. 2 years ago, I was I was screaming that men need to shut up and listen more. <laughs> Two and a half, three years ago, and I believed that yeah, with yeah. all my heart without realizing that you can only do that for so long without women thinking you aren't being supportive if you're not saying anything. And if not only a man, but someone I know. And so after the Kavanaugh, here comes Steve doing this. And I tried to comment on, you know, about it. And I tried to, to write about it. I wrote maybe 3,000 words this weekend. They went nowhere. And yeah. so I wanted to talk to you because I think this is a great example of an obligation that makes me uncomfortable to do. And that makes puts me at, at the risk of, of feeling like, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm banking on my famousish friend's notoriety and using it in the correct sense of bad fame to, yeah. to, to get attention myself. But if I tell myself, mm -hmm. that's what I'm doing. It's all just shut up. Then I'm just shutting up. Right. And so, and all the people complaining about Steve, it's like the people complaining about Kavanaugh and raging and railing. It's 90, whatever percent women. And I know there are more men out there who are also on their side, but it, it, it it's, I mean, I think that it's important to feel uh, not entitled, but an obligation to speak and not quite so entitled to sit back quietly and think that people are, are, your, are, are knowing that you're there supportive and quiet. Even though it's difficult, yeah, but, I got scolded on know, both sides. I got scolded by, by Steve's friends and by Rebecca Solnit's followers for speaking. Right. And so I, I, right. I wrote the last comment I wrote on, on Solnit's page. I will have talked about this in the intro is I'm sorry. I'll go back and read what I wrote again and see if I can see what you're saying. Yeah. And, and then she blocked me. So we're never going to have that conversation. <laughs> but right. I think men very easily will be like, oh, I tried, dude. She said I didn't apologize right. Yeah. That, that's not good enough. Well, here's a version of that, maybe. <laughs> here's a more, here's a more, uh, you know, civilized sounding version of that. Um, because I have a visceral reaction to being told some version of being told I need to speak up, mm -hmm. and and some version of when I speak up being scolded for doing it in the wrong way, whether it's you know whether it's the 
the people who are defending the guy who's accused of something or the people who are saying who are kind of broadly speaking on my side being critical of the guy who's accused of something but saying that it's not my place to do it or the way I was doing it was somehow condescending i have a i i have a broad visceral reaction to all of it, it feels like we're in an environment of sort of puritanical, moralistic scolding where everybody, you know, is 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 huffing the fumes of their own self-righteousness. And I don't like it. I mean, and maybe, you know, I mean, and, and this maybe the simplest answer to why I don't, I don't like it is because it makes me feel uncomfortable and I don't want to look at myself and, and my gender and my race and all of those things. I, I guess the explanation I prefer, not surprisingly, and I'm aware this is a rationalization, is actually that so much of all of that is, actually, is, is just a really counterproductive way of going out about trying to do the political work that would achieve the goals that we all want to achieve. And, and Facebook is awful. Twitter is awful. It, it, it tribalizes people. It reduces complexity of issues. It triggers people in ways that make them other than their best selves. And that the thing to do, rather than going around speaking up about it is to figure out what kind of work you can do if you feel that obligation. And, and I do feel it, I think, maybe to, with lesser intensity than you do. But if you feel that obligation to be responsible for the ills of your gender or your race or something like that, and you want to do work on it, is to find work of the sort that, I, again, I would find more pr- productive and constructive. Um, and it's going to sound kind of Pollyannish if you, know, if you ask me to describe what that kind of Work is, but the but the acute the accusatory stuff, you know, I'm not saying there's never a place for that, but I will say it feels it feels pretty clear to me right now that that that, that just a lot of the let me say this a lot of the accusatory stuff feels like it's doing more harm than good, and that and 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 I'd have to do some work to distinguish what what I would put in that category. Somebody speaking out about something that somebody did wrong to them about Harvey Weinstein or. Uh, there was a you know a great story about what the culture was like at Nike or I don't know what are some of the other ones, um, Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. That's obviously you know or Christine Blasey Ford, right? That's I, that I thought she seemed incredibly the courageous and, and in her speaking out about what happened to her and I have you know not only have no problem with that but I have great admiration for people who do that kind of work. But a lot of the the accusation. Uh, an insinuation that's kind of coalescing around that larger thing feels toxic to me, um, even if it's broadly aligned with my politics. And so I just don't want to be a part of it. And I just kind of at the moment, I'm just kind of running in the other direction. And right. Um, OK, wait, 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 and wait, 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 yeah. wait. Do you see, though, how women can't accept you're saying I don't want to be a part of it? Because what I saw on my feet a lot was once the Kavanaugh was over was women friends yeah. writing. We're still here and still feeling horrible, and men are back to, 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 to posting about the game and funny videos. Well, I guess what I'd say to that is it's a fair critique if of men, and I'd probably include myself in this, who aren't actually then going out and doing some constructive work um, for the sake of you know more gender equality and less. It, it's not a fair critique of men who say, you know, I don't think Facebook is the place. I don't think I'm obligated to participate in this in this work on Facebook, um, and then go off and don't do anything. I, I, I'm, I think I, it's a fair I, critique of them, but I think of the hypothetical men. And again, I'm not. It's not that I think there's lots of men who are then, you know, who are keeping silent on Facebook, but then are going doing great work. Like that's like like a tiny minority of men. But I guess I want to open up that possibility or that space more because it seems like that would be a more. That's that's where. Um, 
I think we should all go. Um, I'm not. Sh- I'm not convinced that the, all the talking and liking and commenting on Facebook is particularly constructive for women either. Uh, yeah, I think- and it's not just about Facebook. It's at work. It's in public. It. It's in the locker room. Um, I, I, I think, I think saying it's all about social media is also a little bit of a, it's too easy a little bit. And that, and that if, if the person is like, Hey everybody, I'm going to go register people to vote or I'm going to donate to now, or I'm going to, that if that's what, what, and (laughs) my sample size is small, but I think, don't think many people are going to argue with me that I'm being, uh, I'm not representing the way men are acting. That they need to say, okay, I'm taking off now. I'm going to go register people to vote for this female candidate because I thought Kavanaugh was disgusting. Bye. Not do nothing. Not be not at all visible. Um, Otherwise, why what, are what women the, ever? Go- is the- why is the toxicity ever going to change on women's side if men don't step up who are on their side and say, I'm on your side? Well, I think it. I, I, I guess it depends on what I, what you mean by visible. Like I've obviously I've I've, I've said my piece against the necessity of being visible on social media. Um, and so, what is the importance to you of being visible as opposed to that other category of things? And again, I agree. There's not a lot of us, including myself, who are out there doing a lot of great work on the ground to create more gender equality. Um, um, the important, but but, 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 let's, but like as opposed to just donating to to now or organizing or or registering voters or doing that kind of work or 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 um, volunteering for candidates who have the right politics and what what's the significance of the visibility the, piece of it? The significance is that women have no reason to believe that men are supporting it if you aren't visible. And again, the number of people who I've seen on social media this weekend, sure, uh, especially on Twitter, there are a lot of people who, who didn't know Stephen Elliott who are making blanket or, or really insightful comments. Yeah. But right. there are three or four who I know who are stepping up who did know him. And they are three women and a gay man. And so, and that is probably pretty representative of the number of straight white men who knew Steve, who are willing to say, gosh, I, I'm with you. I am or was friends with this guy, and this is a really bad thing he's doing. And I think that there's, there's, there is, that if we are uh, pro-feminist or woke or awakened men, that we have to stand up and be counted sometime. And say that we're doing our best. We we may not be doing it perfectly. Yeah. It's hard for me to disentangle it from what I said earlier, which is this, my experience of being in this, uh, that we're in a time that's kind of puritanical and moralistic and censorious in ways that I don't like. And it seems like you know, I get this kind of just like, like, ugh, like kind of when I see the men asserting that they stand with women, it seems like it seems performative. It seems like, you know, I know. virtue signaling. You and know, I feel and, that and, way and, when and I, I do and it. I just kind of have this like, yeah, like I, it annoys me and it seems like it's just for show 
And I don't know that I believe that it actually makes women feel better because it's happening in this context. Again, a lot of it we're talking about social media, but, you know, I also see things like that in sort of, you know, if you go to public meetings around one of these issues or things like that, it 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 does make women feel affirmed, I think, or, or um, but in the context of, and I think you and I are just in a different place on this, like in the context of a discourse that has this just toxic feel to me, which is like, you know, which is, that we all like to feel self-righteous and there's a difference between being self-righteous and being righteous and I'm all for being righteous, but I'm not all for being self-righteous and I'm not all for these kind of conversations that, you know, that seem like opportunities for an awful lot of people to feel really virtuous. And I'm not persuaded that they're actually constructive. I, I'm not persuaded they're not constructive. I mean, sometimes e- even even narratives or movements or cultural shifts that have some unsavory qualities can ultimately be for the good. And okay. I don't want to be such, such a purist to say that it has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually at the point where I'm not sure any of this shouldn't say any of this stuff, mm-hmm. where I'm not actually sure the overall conversation in which the guy says, I'm with you, um, is a healthy one. Okay. I, I disagree completely about it not being a healthy one. It makes me feel icked out to do it and, and, and question <laughs> my, my own self-righteousness. But I have tangible proof that it does good. My, my, my silly little posts get responses of thanks from women, not from men. <laughs> Some of them cook like, but mostly it's women. I grant you that. And my, I'm trying to reach men, and I'm not trying to get pats on the back from women. They're nice to get, but it's not my point. But I have a tangible experience to relate to you. And yeah, that but is how that is that? Some, wait, 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 what I'm pop- I'm, wait let, yeah, me, let me tell my story. <laughs> okay. Someone okay. I know, a younger man, was in a bad breakup, posted on one of the social media sites kind of slut-shamey posts about – they weren't – they were veiled, but they were slut-shamey posts about his ex who was breaking up with him. Mm-hmm. And – Mostly it was silence. There were a couple of dudes who clicked like, and, and one woman actually. And then there were a few women who were commenting, really take these down, buddy. These are, these are a really bad idea. You're, you're, you're doing a bad thing here. And then I did too. And he did take them down. And I don't know whether it was because of me or them. But the other, the women who commented wrote to me and said, thank you as a man for stepping in and saying also that this was wrong. Because no one ever does. Mm-hmm. And it is at the expense of feeling icky and having men think I'm kind of a, ew, kind of being a little shit, Jamie. It, it, there is a <laughs> macho boys club element that I think you have to acknowledge that's in all of us cis yeah. straight men that don't want to be that guy. But sometimes you have to be that guy. No, I agree with you. Uh, what did you say? I, I guess I, so I, I said, I th- and I think that's relevant because I think there's a way to do this that is sort of admirable. And I said very simply, making up a name, Tony, what you're doing is wrong, and it's not doing you any favors, and you're going to regret it later. Take this shit down. Yeah, and the women said it too, and he might have listened to them too. All I know is they were like, "Thanks for chiming in." 
And I'm yeah. not saying to be a tendentious, I'm so pure. You know I write about how I like porn and, and, and things about me that aren't right. so great either. I, I unvirtue signal <laughs> as much as I virtue signal. And I question myself. And I have like I, – I so don't feel uh, entitled to that virtue that I, I've probably written four novels worth of stuff that I never end up submitting anywhere, you know, because I, I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm not – this isn't good enough. I haven't worked hard enough. And bringing it back to Steve, he – I think part of his rough upbringing is that he developed a sense of entitlement. Yeah. To write what write like a motherfucker about whatever he wants, and right, I have the mu- then, I have the mug, and it, then he that became was the mug. super. I write like a motherfucker. Uh, oh, I forgot. I must have somewhere in the back of my mind, and yeah. and I'm gonna be successful because I, I've worked hard, sure. I've written that, and I've had a shitty fucking life, and he succeeded. And I think yeah. perhaps entitlement comes with that to behave certain ways in private spheres too. Um, and and that, well, it's that, interesting. Yeah. Can I say something? Yeah. Sorry. Do you want to finish? No, I just just saying I didn't that didn't exactly tie into what I was saying, but it's just that yeah. it's important for me who doesn't feel entitled to speak a lot of the time to force myself to do it. And on the Steve thing, I backed away this weekend, and I was really upset yeah. about it. And Anya, my wife, said, "Why don't you talk to Dan?" And see if you can record something that, that it's worthwhile. And that's the goal of this. Yeah. I like to express yeah. myself and be heard, but I also feel like there is a there is something that could serve a public good in making having these conversations. Yeah, I do too. And I, and I guess you know, and there's going to be people who hate this and just think this is such like sort of you know one side and the other side, just such bullshit, such weak, just such weak sauce. But I guess I'm 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 starting to decide that I think that there's actually that what I'm advocating for is complexity and nuance. And and so saying to somebody you know, hey, Tony, you know, I, I realize that's not his name. Hey, Tony, this is wrong. Like, take it down. Um, that seems admirable to me, and it might feel uncomfortable. It probably feels uncomfortable to do. It's hard to confront people and and claim kind of, you know, moral, not moral, moral superiority, but, but claim some, you know, moral uh, right to scold them, and I think how you do it matters. I think there are ways of doing it where people, it's like, you know, so you wrote this thing to Steven. Like, there's a way of conducting yourself that seems admirable and right, and there's a way that seems um, cheap and and wrong, and that and that they can both have the same ostensible politics to them and that, that actually that distinction is important so saying to steve elliott going in with a spirit of like some kind of seeing him as a person and saying hey i think this is wrong and here's why and he says you don't understand what i was saying you don't know all the context and then going okay rat, then saying well let me think about it or what is the context or you know you explain the context and sort of having that conversation from as one human being to another rather than doing what you see people do so much which is if he you know if he had said that in a I don't know how public his Facebook page but he just shot back you don't know the context or something like that and then somebody just who is against him jumping on and and saying you're this and you're that and maybe he did and for all I know but that's what he did to you but this kind of this effort to accuse and win and score points and like I just think it's I, I think in some basic level it's wrong and it, and and having the right politics are not 
an excuse for it. And to your point about his sense of entitlement, I mean, one thing that's interesting about, I think, the, the, the word that you've kind of fell upon for this podcast is entitlement can arise from a lot of different places, right? It can, you know, as opposed to maybe privilege where you have to have something kind of material to back it up. You can have a sense of entitlement that's a consequence of a really awful childhood or a set of really awful experiences. You feel entitled to take what's yours in various ways because of how the world has treated you. Mm-hmm. And some of what I'm talking about and some of this stuff that I think is puritanical and toxic comes from a sense of entitlement from people who do not, at least in the traditional sense, have privilege, right? Because they're a person of color, they have entitlement to speak down to a white person. Because they're a woman, they have entitlement to speak down to a man. Because they, they have, they're entitled as uh, somebody who's not, uh, you know, who's not het to, to speak down or, or lecture to het people or something like that. So the, the sense of entitlement, of, uh, that there's, a, there's a kind of entitlement that just feels wrong to me and I think corrupts the politics that the person is ostensibly kind of acting entitled in the name of. Um, mm-hmm. And, and sure. those are distinctions that a lot of people think is just bullshit to draw and a kind of rationalization. But I, I'm coming more and more to believe that – to believe for myself that it, it's, if it's not all the difference, it's, it's half the difference. Mm-hmm. I just want to say in terms of – you mentioned something about civil conversation earlier, early in that that I posted on his own page uh, because I wanted him to have to acknowledge yeah. seeing it as opposed to writing him a direct message. And he, and among whom, I don't think it is public, and it was all supporters. And I wanted it to be seen. And he responded civilly and and very briefly, like, you're making a bunch of assumptions. That's all he said. And so I wrote him a quick note, but he had every, like, I'm sure in his anger and his frustration, he had every chance and every reason to have lashed out and ripped me to pieces with his talent and would yeah, have been supported right. by everyone on the page. And he did not do so. And, and afterwards I took down the comment because he and I had had the conversation and I felt satisfied. And another friend of ours wrote saying that she had seen my comments and was disgusted that Steve had taken them down. And I made it very clear that I had taken them down because I didn't want to argue with fans, you know, or be lambasted by fans. I didn't think I'd be, I'd be, I'd be speaking to them in any way they could hear. (laughs) So. And to come back to where I think we had agreement, you know, you're saying, so, okay, in that context, he was willing to have a civil conversation about it. And you, and, and, and that seems admirable, at least in that kind of isolated way. And where you differ from him, where you really differ from him and, and, and feel entitled to judge is with the lawsuit where, given what you know and given what you don't know, it seems like it's crossing over the line into something that's punitive um, at a minimum. And you also think it could hurt the cause. But, but it also sounds to me like it feels to you like it's being done in a spirit of vindictiveness or, or punitiveness that feels wrong to you. And I, and I guess, um, that, that sounds right Mm -hmm. to me. And and let me sneak in and talk about my discomfort in this whole conversation. Isn't about being a self-righteous person. It's, it's about whether I'm entitled to even be in this conversation because I'm not a, I'm not a real writer. I'm not a real public figure. I'm not really part of this conversation. (laughs) 
and I haven't earned the right to even participate. And that's the kind of, that's the way I function on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so in terms of, it is, well, well, and one of the best things you have, this, this podcast has taught me a great deal about all the reasons I should not want to be famous. I've never liked or trusted anyone who seems to like me for something superficial outside myself when they meet me. Yeah. If they find out I went to Columbia. I immediately, and they're impressed, I'm grossed out, even though it's impressive. Yeah. Um, I suppose. Right. Um, but similarly, yeah. uh, uh, not similarly, but what, the more fame and, and public attention you get, the more you can't trust the responses. Uh, and uh, about a year ago, and I've learned so much from, from people who have some uh, on this podcast right. about why I'm, I should really enjoy my position in the world. It lets me speak out on anything I want, <laughs> um, for one thing, even though no one's going to listen. And that was the point that you made that was been so useful since then to right. me ranting or, 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 or giving 10, 15 minute opening monologues to this is when you said, when I said, okay, here we go two two white guys talking about me too. And you, you criticized me for dismissing us in that way by saying we're not the representatives of of discussing me too on npr that would be wrong we are you are a guy with a podcast and you should do whatever the fuck you want and that has been so freeing and i just wanted to thank you for that again oh you're welcome and i, I will go even more highfalutin than that and say more than just you know two guys who have a podcast who can say whatever the fuck they want and nobody's obligated to listen. I mean, I think you know that we're just members of a society that aspires to be democratic. And I don't know how you and this is one of the reasons why you know I'm kind of turning more and more against you know what I see as identity politics and this idea that we should you know we should see ourselves you know primarily or as members of groups is that I think it moves us away from that just basic idea that as kind of members of this larger society, we have the right and to some extent the obligation to participate in these conversations of public import. And so the idea that you'd have to be, you know, the idea that you have to be famous or a, or a paid writer or something like that to participate in this conversation, to, to deserve to participate seems wrong to me, but also it seems wrong to me the idea that as a man you should um, shut up and let the women speak or, or that or, you should be obliged or, to speak or that you should be obliged to speak. I mean, I, I think, yeah. So, so, um, I don't know what, what that's to say other than, uh, I agree with your agreeing with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree with your agreeing with me. Uh, but, uh right. as, as Hardy White said recently on this show that, that a lot of liking people, this, this very frank friend of his once said to him, you like me because I like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel I, I, even if no one listens and if people who do are icked out by either of us, I'm really glad we had this talk. Me too. And I got to go get back to work. All right. <laughs> then I won't say stay right. on after the call and we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Dan. Thanks a lot, Dan. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thank you all for listening. Uh, you can find Daniel Oppenheimer's work by figuring out how to spell Daniel Oppenheimer and Googling it. He wrote a really great book called Exit Right. You can find the notes to this episode 
which include links to a whole lot of articles uh, and tweets and Stephen Elliott's initial essay in Quillette, and a link to how to donate to Moira Dunnigan's Legal Defense Fund by going to 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's 1-5-M-I-N-U-T-E-S-J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. If you think Dan and my wrestling with these issues in the podcast format is a good idea or a bad idea, or you have any thoughts on today's episode, please find me uh, on our website or at any of the social media places at 15minsjamieb. I'd love to hear your feedback. Ed Patnode is the engineer. Christian Kandari made the music. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Berger.